0: George America Missional Podcast. I am Terry Ishii, and today on The Roundtable, I am joined by three great friends. Uh, in Richmond, Virginia, we are joined by Jeremy Chambers and Monica Chambers. Guys, it's so good to have you on the podcast.
1: Hey, good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, excited to hear uh, from you guys today. And as always, I've got my, my partner in crime, Alan Bradford in Knoxville, Tennessee. How you doing, buddy?
2: Doing well, man. It's good to be here with everybody.
0: Yeah, we've had, a, we've had a bit of a break. We've taken a little couple weeks off just to kind of, you know, get refreshed. And honestly, it's because Bradford had family vacation and <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want to do the podcast without him. So I was like, yeah, let's take a break. Let's take a break. So, yeah, uh, I had to get the family out of town. So that's good. That's good. Uh, well, uh, today we are kind of going to, we're going to launch a series of conversations uh, that I'm really, really excited about. And so it's, it's around this idea uh, of this formula that we use in Forge America, uh, we often refer to it as CME. Uh, but the way it's broken down on a whiteboard, which is like the preferred way to break anything down, right? Like whiteboards. (laughs) Yeah. I believe heaven is going to be half whiteboards. Uh, so yeah, but anyways, it's the idea of Christology informs missiology and missiology informs ecclesiology. And so uh, I know that's a mouthful. And so just to kind of get us started and talk about this idea, Bradford, will you, will you break that down for us and kind of explain what does CME really mean? Yeah. And it'd be interesting. I've always heard this from Alan Hirsch. Did he come up with it? Do you guys know?
2: Is it, did he come up with this thing?
3: I think it may have come from David Bosch.
2: Yeah, that's even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the great grandfather of mission himself. (laughs) The other stuff happened.
3: You could just say it came from the New Testament, though, right? (laughs) There
2: you go. (laughs) Yes, yeah. 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 So so Christology determines your missiology, which determines your ecclesiology. The way that we break that down is so your Christology. So, what do you believe about Jesus? Like, what do you understand? How do you come to Jesus, you know, the founder of our faith? That should determine what your mission is, your missiology. So, what are you about? What what is it you see Jesus doing? Well, that's what you should be doing. So how are you going to live that out? How are you going to play that out? And then that determines your ecclesiology, which is a fancy way of saying church or how you gather, right? A lot of times we we get into the, um, at least it used to be, I don't think it is anymore, but the fight was over the different types of church. Should it be a mega church, house church, small group church, all the different things. The church is beautiful in all its different forms. That's not the fight. <laughs> like there should be no fight there. Like all churches uh, are are the spirits work in there in some form or fashion. And so really, it becomes uh, let's let's center around uh, Christology. I mean, he is the founder of our faith. So let's constantly recalibrate around him and and mission, whatever we do, has to start and be defined by Jesus. Jesus is our constant reference point. We always begin and end with him. So to determine our mission in the world, start with Jesus. And then how does the church birthed out of that? You know, what's going on now? A lot of times, uh, especially in the early on in the church planning movement, when it started to really kick up, it felt like some people kind of put their ecclesiology before mission. I'm not going to say people put ecclesiology before Jesus. I'm going to hope they didn't, but a lot of times it was like, Hey, we're going to be the cool hip church that reaches out to the 20 and 30 year olds. Now what's our mission? I was like, no, let your mission determine what uh, the church looks like. What, how does this gather? And the church can be varied and beautiful and diverse in all kinds of different ways. Um, and so, yeah, that's in a nutshell, that is kind of the, the formula.
0: Yeah. So I think there are the, when I look at CME, I think it's important that we, as we look at this, this isn't, uh, it's not a Kind of formula. It's these. This is a very neutral thing. So, uh, because of that, the ty- who we say about who Jesus is will impact the formula, right? So, if we have a weak uh, idea uh, or a weak Christology or weak idea of who Jesus is, or we have a reductionist view or a misshapen view, that could give us a misshapen view of mission and therefore giving us an incomplete idea of what the church is. And Alan, you're a much nicer person than I am. I will say people put the ecclesiology (laughs) before Christology. I've just worked with too many church planners over the years that like their thing is we're. I want to, I want a platform to preach and sometimes I'll preach Jesus. Uh, and again, I think most dudes, they got good hearts. And I think most men and women who are trying this, I think they're good hearts. But again, I, I, I do think they, they are, they're, they're swapping the importance of these things. And so, uh, really, really important stuff. Uh, Monica and Jeremy, we, we invited you guys uh, to jump on this. Cause you guys, again, uh, this is like, your, this is like a third time that we've referenced the book. And so guys, if you're listening and you haven't went out and bought kingdom contours, like, why are you waiting? Like, go get the book, read it. So you'll be informed as you listen to these wonderful podcasts. Uh, but in your book, kingdom contours available on amazon.com, uh, you guys do a brilliant job of laying down, uh, the importance of Christology and, and our la- before we took our break, we talked with Jeremy about the importance of Jesus as Lord and how we rally around that idea. So I'd love to hear some of your guys' thoughts on this idea of the importance of putting Christology first, like, and what does that mean? And and really, what does that mean for, for you guys and your, your ministry and mission, uh, as a, as a couple?
3: Yeah, I can, uh, jump into that a little bit. Um, you know, if, if we take some of those major Christological passages, and I think we did talk about this on the last podcast a little bit, uh, but take like Colossians 1 or John 1 um, or the whole book of Hebrews, <laughs> right? Uh, the, the way that Scripture puts Christ as preeminent or um, superior to everything, um, it, it basically gives us this whole what is it? It lays out a plan for how we can really live a Christ-centered life and how that would then influence everything we do. You think of uh, Colossians 1, it talks about Christ being the fullness of God in in bodily form, being the head of the church, being over all things. So even there, you have uh, an ecclesial statement, right? Christ is the head of the body. Um, And so, if we even start with that, we have a great foundation.
0: Jeremy, that's really good. Uh, As you were talking, one of the things that came to mind and I'll just, this is me just being a little vulnerable and completely honest. Um, I've always struggled reading Hebrews. Uh, And then even like reading some of the the verses that you referenced. um, I think it's so easy. And, and, and I think I've seen this, not just in myself, but more corporately as well, that those, the verses and, and, and really Hebrews, this idea of seeing Jesus as the head of the church. It's like, we read it with lip service. I don't know how you read something with lip service, but we definitely give it lip service, but like we read it and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, that's, it doesn't, it's like, it doesn't permeate past the skin. It doesn't really go into the core and change how you believe, uh, even to, even like in the gosh, I don't know how long ago this is. It's 2020. I would say like maybe the early 2000s, you saw this trend where churches were changing titles of their pastors. And you would even have a several churches that would say the, they, would, they would literally on their website, put Jesus Christ lead pastor. And then they would have a handful of other pastors. And it was like this idea of like, oh yeah, Jesus, he's, lead, he's the lead of the church. But like when you scratched at in, and I knew some of those knuckleheads that were doing that and I'm like, bro, Jesus ain't leading nothing in what you guys are doing. It is all about you and what you're thinking. Uh, And it really kind of comes across as lip service. And so I'm curious. I mean, what are you, I mean, is that something that you've bumped up against or am I like the one, the one uh, lone spiritualist who's lame and can't read the scriptures properly and has his own thought in his own head?
1: Often we can say we believe something and we might legitimately think that we deeply do like, I really do believe this, but our life doesn't necessarily show the fruit of that belief. And I find that there's a a very important connection that we as believers need to make, especially as church leaders and leaders in different ways where Um, I can say and think and almost really convince myself that I really do believe that Jesus is Lord and he's the leader of this. But um, in how I'm actually living my life, I actually believe, practically, I believe that I'm the one who's Lord of my life. I'm the one who makes the decisions. I'm the one who's making things happen. You know, if I don't do certain things, then other things won't happen and that is something that's so subtle where and and you know there's one of those things of like if you actually want to see what someone believes like observe how they live and a lot of times yeah you can almost use ah, this might sound a little bad but it's like you almost can use jesus as a part of your marketing force as opposed to so that you look like you're doing something quote unquote right but like the actual life of that community may not be so representative of jesus actually being preeminent of being the head um and it's a very important thing for us especially as leaders to really sit down and before the lord and be like okay lord like Am I allowing you to actually be the head or do I keep grabbing at what you should have in your hands?
0: That brings up another question, uh, which I know we're now sliding way off topic of what we're doing, but I I think this is maybe super important as we talk about having a robust Christology, but like, what the heck does it mean to actually believe? I mean, I I think Monica, you're, you're kind of getting at some things and I've been a pastor for 24 years. I've preached on Jesus Um, tons, but I don't think I've ever like taught or helped explain like how you believe or what does it mean to believe? Um, I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States, but I mean, I I read it in a book once and I kind of believe it, but like, how does, how does belief move from cognitive understanding? Because I think there's a lot of people in America and, I, and maybe this is one of the things that we struggle with is we have the cognitive belief, but how does it move to, how does it move from cognitive to like everything, right? Jesus says, "Love the Lord, your God with not just your mind. Yes. But like, how does it move? And so I, I don't know, maybe we need some robust teaching around how do we get people to believe and what does it actually mean? Like, what are the implications of believe and, and all of that?
3: Yeah. Um, it's. I think you're really getting to such a critical point there. Um, C.S. Lewis once said that you can say that you trust a rope, but until you're hanging from that rope, you're not trusting it. And uh, and he said that at a time when he was struggling to trust in the Lord. And he was suddenly confronted with the fact that so much of the intellectual aspect of his faith um, was just caught up in theory. And this was a test that forced him to consider, was he really hanging on to Christ? Um, and we know that he, he persevered, he made it through, but uh, it's, there, there is something to be said about the crises in life that suddenly show us <laughs> the nature of what we're relying on. And I think 2020 is a good year for all of us to kind of realize some of the things we were trusting in weren't so um, stable, right? Uh, and and so, yeah, it's definitely opens up something that we really need to pay close attention to.
2: Yeah, so, so jumping off that, um, one of my favorite kind of faith-altering stories in the scriptures, you, you know, those like stories that you might have read, but then you come to it at a certain time or a certain perspective, and it just changes everything for you. I have a, you know, Half a dozen of those that I've nailed down. One of them, it's John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is the guy who's like, "Hey, look, I'm the guy going before the guy," and he just keeps pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. His famous line, "Jesus has to be greater. I'm going to become less." Right? All this stuff happens. And then John the Baptist ends up um, in prison, and he's about ready to have his head cut off. And John's last scene in the scripture is him going, "Was that? Was that really the guy?" Like could you, he brings some of his closest followers is like, Hey, could you go ask? Cause I I'm in prison and I'm about ready to have my head chopped off. And that's, that's how, that's how a story ends. And there's this great book by um, Gene Edwards. I wish I could remember. I think it's, Oh, it's called the prisoner in the third cell, I think is what it is. And it's kind of a, um, a drama dramatization of this scene. And in it, um, Jesus uh, in the spirit kind of comes to John without John ever knowing it in prison. And Jesus is just having a conversation with John before he's about ready to die. He's like, Hey, they're, they're coming for you right now. And you're dying with these questions on your lip and you'll never know. Um, but he's kind of like, blessed are you that you, you, you still believe, right? You're still in the midst, even though he has doubts. Cause we always think that the opposite of belief is doubts. And it's like, no. Uh, and this scene, it always just moved me. Like I get goosebumps thinking about it. It's just moved me that in the midst of John's, what's going on? Is that really, I mean, it was my cousin. I thought he was a lamb of God and here, this sucks. Like my life has gotten worse. Like this is horrible. And Jesus like, yeah, buddy, you're going to die. And you're not going to, you're not going to get any answers on this side. You're just not. Uh, And to me, the faith of that, the, uh, if you'd say the belief of it, the trust of it, the, I'm going to continue to walk in that the, he's still got to be greater. I'm still going to be less. Um, or even the Job, you know, I mean, I hate to circle around that one, but the, uh, the line that always struck me was the, um, though he slay me yet, I will trust him, you know, where Job had this perspective, like all this crap happening to me is because of God, but I'm still going to trust him. Like, I'm still, I'm still going to trust that. That is a hard faith, a hard belief to actually say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have.
1: I think one of these things too, that I've been really considering, both with faith and also like what I am living out is is the distinction I think of a perspective am I sitting here thinking that I am the one who can look to God and say I must figure you out almost and I must have all of these things and I I just finished reading this uh commentary book um by David Gibson, um, called Living Life Backwards. It's an amazing book, so check it out. Um, but it's basically this like devotional commentary on, on Ecclesiastes. And it just made me really consider the fact that so often, you know, I am the creature, He is the creator, right? But so often, I almost want to take the seat of creator. And to say, to look to God and to be like, why all these things? How all these things, you know? And when we do that, I think especially in our culture right now, we are sitting as though we are the ones who can be the judges without actually acknowledging the fact that we won't know and we won't have all the answers like what you were saying, Alan. And yet, what is my perspective? does that then allow me to have the humility to say, oh, right, so Jesus, you do need to be Lord because I don't actually know all of the things. You, you God, have, have to be king because also it's your kingdom that's going to be everlasting, not so many of the things that I'm worried about or anxious about right now. And so I feel like when we switch that perspective, At least for me, that's been helpful to then live out more of a life that can have the fruit of having him being who he actually is as a reality of my life. So that then, you know, I can actually live more patiently or I can actually have more peace and trade out anxiety because he I trust that he's good. I trust that he actually looks out for the best. I trust that he made this world good originally. And that's there is beauty here that can be experienced unto him. And so there's so many of those things that then just change, at least for me, so many of my postures of almost everything in life. And then I can really allow Christ to be again, preeminent, above all, be the creator that he is and have myself be under him in a really freeing way.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great segue uh, to this kind of the next piece of this conversation. Um, our perspectives play a huge role in how, in how we see Jesus and, and how we see Jesus informs how we live, right? And so as we talk about Christology and so pastors and leaders may be listening to this. Um, Jeremy, I mean, what, what would you say is the kind of the beginning foundational pieces for helping someone, um, both for themselves, but maybe also for a, a community or a congregation? Like what are, what's the basic building blocks to having a robust Christology? Like, where do we start when we come with this so that we don't end up making Jesus into our image, which we could spend a ton of time talking about. And I think we even did that on the Jesus as Lord, where, you know, we don't want to create like the meme that I've seen is gun toting Jesus. Like the idea of Jesus rocking an AK just is mind blowing. Like, Oh my gosh. But some people would probably maybe go there.
3: Well, you know, I, it's a, that's a great, great question. And to bring in the faith, And the Christology, I think we have a wonderful uh, example right there. I think it's in Mark 9, where the guy says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. And um, if we want our lives, our families, our systems to be Christocentric, I think that's a great starting point is that simple prayer, you know, like, there's a... Ultimately, there's a relational dimension here and to, to get before the Lord, make some time to, to slow down and, and really consider, um, Lord, have I been putting you as a priority, uh, in my life? And, and am I actually believing, um, cause I know I have some unbelief, so please help my unbelief. Let's start there. Move me towards
1: Christ as a foundation. Yeah, and I'm going to say an obvious statement, but like Jesus is a real person. And like what like what you were just saying, Alan, I think that's really and to your question, Terry, if like if we remember <laughs> that he's he's not this like imaginary being out there somewhere. Like he's a real person who can be known, who wants to be close to us and he wants us to be close to him and so when we really actually come to that we can almost i think i think to practice is like in a moment do you consider that he's actually there with you you know like i growing up i you know, I moved from Costa Rica here to the US when I was 15. I had my first day of like sophomore year in high school and I'm sitting in the cafeteria and I'm like, I have no friends right now. It was like the worst moment of my life in that time. And I said, Jesus, I need you to be my friend right now because I have no friends and I know you're here with me. So be my friend. And he was, and he was there with me in some really beautiful ways. And yet How often do we actually make that quest, like ask him to be what we want him to be in that moment, acknowledging that we know he is that. And if if we don't acknowledge that he is already there and his personhood is here with us, he promises that he will always be with us to the end, right? And so do we actually press into that practically in our lives or do we leave him as this imaginary idea out there?
0: Yeah, I'll work with pastors and we'll, we'll really push hard this idea that Jesus is Lord and everything you do as a congregation must rally around this point. Um, and and part of that conversation is, is helping dispel, like, don't, don't reduce Jesus. Uh, Scott Nelson talks about that tiny gospel syndrome where we just reduce everything down and where that's where you get like, Jesus is my friend and and here's the beautiful thing um, when we are free to acknowledge uh, that Jesus is Lord we we, we can now, And we can embrace Jesus as my, as my friend, as my best friend, we can embrace Jesus as my savior, because of course he's all of those things too. Um, the problem comes is when, you know, sweet 15 year old, uh, I'm assuming, are you 15 or a sophomore, 15, 16 that, you know, sitting in the cafeteria and Monica's new best friend, Jesus, it it like if that relationship stayed there, like if he never truly grew and and your eyes understand, no, 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 you're, yes, you are my friend, but you're also Lord. You, you, you're kind of overseeing all of this. And so let, let's do this. I, I'd love to hear some of your guys' thoughts on how do we, how do we create practices? Uh, because uh, around Christology, like we have a ton, I mean, Forge America, you want practices on mission. Where are your people? Like we'll sit down with you and we'll talk for hours on, Oh dude, here's some practices, do this. And this, blah, blah, blah. but when it, I'm talking about like Jesus, like Christology, how do we really help us understand who Jesus is? Like what are some practices and reading the Bible uh, and having a quiet time Let's get beyond that. But, like, what are the practices? Like, how do we read the scriptures? What are we doing that helps us really develop a robust Christology? So, as part of the Knoxville residency,
2: one of the things we ask our residents to do is to immerse themselves in the gospels during the residency. And I used to give them like a plan, like, hey, read John 1, read John 2. But now I'm just like, I don't care. Just keep going. Like, you were in this thing for six months. And if you just happen to get through one chapter of one gospel, that's fine. But I want you to immerse yourself in the gospel. But while you're doing it, asking yourself, and and we got this from Deb Hirsch, what are the postures and the priorities of Jesus? Not just like, hey, here's all the facts or here's all the lessons I can learn. But as you see it, what are the postures and the priorities of Jesus? And then what does that actually mean for you? Like, How are you going to actually change and live your life based off of those postures and priorities? So that's one for me. And I know that goes to like, you know, hey, quiet
0: time with your Bible, but you know, I think it's pretty important. No, but, but it's, but it's no, it's good because you're giving us a little more, right. Just read your Bible. You know, that's, that was the thing that always frustrated me as a young person. I was like, yeah, okay. You, you've kind of got your hook in me about this Jesus fella. Um, how, how do I get to know him? Well, read your Bible and open up Genesis <laughs> yeah. because I read books from the beginning. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus isn't, I don't there No one's mentioned Jesus yet. I guess he's not that important. So I think having that, that instruction direction on how to do that. And I love that. I, I got, we got that from Deb as well. Our, in, our missional community uh, uses that rhythm as we walk through the scripture. So we're walking through Matthew right now. And that's the question we ask is what is Jesus posture here? What's his priority in this teaching? It's, it's been, it's been foundational in helping us really get to the root of who Jesus is.
3: Oh uh, Yeah. Well, and I think that is it. It's the the issue is how we approach these practices, right? It's it's not about just a rote prayer. It's about how you are praying. It's not about just perfunctory reading of scripture. It's about how you're reading, right? What what are the questions? Uh, What am I looking for? What am I asking? Um, And those questions you you just gave Terry, I think, are excellent. I think a few others are are even to to ask the question what was happening in Jesus's uh, worldview to cause him to say the things he said. Um, or, or take Paul, for example, look at Philippians 2 and 3. Um, he lays out a Christology in chapter 2, and then he lays out his like purpose statements in chapter 3. And you have to ask the question, what kind of person could dare say these things? Uh, and then when you start thinking about what kind of person would say it, you start to, you you enter into this dimension of like, whoa, he, he took this seriously. He was really transformed through his encounters with Christ. What, what, and and I, I mean, genuinely, I think asking ourselves in a very reflective sense, what needs to happen in my life for me to really have an encounter with Christ? Um, and, And that's going to, you know, that's going to pinpoint a thing that's particular, right? So in in our communities, we can have some larger practices, but the individual scale, where exactly is Jesus calling me into deeper intimacy with him? Um, And I think that can look very, like that's going to look different for for everyone. Someone might want to jump into some church history and and read some people who are very Christological. Others are going to want to reside in a gospel for a long time. Others, it's going to be maybe a more prayer practice or even kind of like a journaling practice of saying, Where was Christ active in my life today? Um, but I, I do think really, like, there's that question, like, Jesus, where are you leading me so that I might know you more right now?
0: And I, I love the fact that we can do this from a very personal uh, and personality driven way that Jesus has, like, created. We we all come to them differently. I mean, that's why I'm grateful for books like uh, Sacred Pathways from Gary Thomas. um, Where, yeah, like reading church history, you lost me, Jeremy. No way. But I know I have brothers and sisters who that. I mean, they 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 thrive on that. And I remember. I've been guilty of this and I'm guilty of this where I would say to other leaders and other preachers, and I've heard it said to me, and that's why I kind of push it back on someone else where it's like, you know, pastors, preachers, you know, teachers, if if you're only reading the scriptures, getting ready for your, your, your Sunday school lesson or your small group or your Bible study, or whatever sermon you're preaching, shame on you. And, um, I always felt horrible because some of my best moments with Jesus was when I was like, just learning how to teach something like it, like those moments. I was like, I never want to discount them. Um, but someone like Gary Thomas comes along and says, no, that's just one pathway to God. That And just because you're, it's it's serving another purpose, uh, it shouldn't be diminished. It, it actually should be elevated. That, how, how wonderful that you get to connect with God and, and serve a secondary purpose. And that's beautiful. Um, so being able to come and like, look, yeah, I'm, the Gospels are going to do it for me. Paul's going to do it for me because I'm crazy apostolic. And I love the idea of missionary journeys. I remember reading Paul as a young person, you know I'm just like, gosh, that sounds exhaustive. Like, I mean, why would I ever want to walk that much and go that many places and not do it once, twice, but three times it's like, that dude's nuts. I never want to do that. But Simon Peter, like that's my guy. Like, right. So, so everything resonates differently, but again, it, it's all pulling us to who Jesus is. Yeah, I had a professor, it wasn't a professor, he was a TA at UT, uh the most liberal school in America or at least in the South. Um and he was a Christian and he he was uh, he was in my uh he was a TA for my introduction to micro evolutionary biology. And so like every day, all, all the Christian friends in my life it was like, "Oh, they're going to challenge your faith and blah 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 and all that." Was, this is like back in the day. This is the 90s. Uh, Come to find out this dude was doing research in monarch butterflies because the monarchs fly right through Texas in part of their migration path. Um, And he he had this like little, little hut on top of one of the buildings at UT science buildings. And he was like, he called it, it was his temple. It was, he was a believer. And it was that very thing, studying science, studying nature and these, these, these creatures, it was, it was like, this is how I connect with God. And, yeah, it was beautiful.
1: Yeah, I think another – I'm the type of person who likes to have very, very practical sorts of things um, and ways of practicing my faith in many ways. And I've really appreciated, like, Brother Lawrence, you know, who has, like, that practicing the presence of Christ sort of thing. Uh, And just, like, legit, like, not – I think a lot of people go into that practice and almost have it a lot more – Almost like rules based, like perfection oriented. This, like, look, if you just actually are in this process every as often as possible in your day, acknowledging that Jesus is there with you. And then I forget who said it, but I, a good definition of discipleship was like, I think it might have been Dallas Willard who said that, like, um, it's me living my life as Jesus would live my life if he was me, you know, and that even starting to think about that way, like being in a moment and being like, okay, if you were me right now, Jesus, what would you do? (laughs) And to start to kind of imagine, okay, what would he do really? And it kind of goes back to what you were saying of like, yeah, the posturing of Jesus and like his priorities, like as we learn those things, we can then ask those things very concretely for our own lives And it can, and we can legitimately start to imitate Christ very practically, um, with even in moments that seem so mundane. And I think the beauty of kind of what we're talking about is that Jesus doesn't become somebody that we only interact with in a certain environment, like in church or with believers or whatever, or with people who don't know Jesus even like, it's not only, it's not so he's not so compartmentalized and instead he becomes this constant, which he is, (laughs) he lives in us. He's this constant companion who is there so that we can learn from him so that we can love him so that we can imitate him um, so that we can hear him and know him intimately. And as we are, I think, especially, at least for me, a practice that's been very helpful has been even just acknowledging that and saying, you are here, okay. How does that affect this moment, then, that you are actually here?
2: Yeah, I really like the uh, the conversation around the sacred pathways, or as you said, the Christological pathways. Um, you know, I've always heard it said, you know, once you walk through the door of Jesus, there's a lot of ways to God, right? You always have to kind of qualify it that way. But and and you know, you have those people out there who are, um, man, I get out in nature and I just see nature and man, I'm, I, I see the face of God and God love them. I'm here to balance them out. Um, I do see God in nature, but like, I'm like, ah, there's bugs out there and they love to gnaw on me. So, and I, I'm pretty pale. So I get sunburned and I, you know, I'm just running for shade. So one of the ways for me too, has been, um, getting beyond just the inherited Christianity that I have uh, well I heard somebody say that you know American Christianity is just one slice of the of the global Christian pie and so how do you get beyond just all the things that that you've inherited so I come from a particular tr- Christian tradition right um, and in and, and that particular Christian tradition you 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 eh, I don't know if it was ever taught this way, but it's like, you look down on other traditions, you know, you look at eh, those, 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 whatever, insert denomination, a eh, little suspect over there, or this over here. Um, and I, whatever, and I've grown beyond all that, but now it's like, ah, you know, I kind of want to hear from different people. I want to hear from different, different beliefs and faith background, even to the point where I found myself completely and utterly drawn to the Jewish section of the bookstore for a long period of my life. <laughs> Uh, where I just like, I want to hear from Jewish authors, especially on, um, you know, how they interpret uh, the, 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 the Old Testament. How do, they, how do they look at some of this? Even, even some of the commentaries, like when they when to get into Jesus and their perspective on Jesus. And that was very uh, enlivening to me. You know, it's like to be able to hear and to be able to discern and to get beyond just the small slice that I've always known. So for me, that's always helped sharpen my Christology.
3: Yeah, uh, there's actually a really there's another really helpful book. It's by Richard Foster. It's called Streams of Living Water, and he looks at six, uh, I guess you could call it like, major themes that we find all we find it in Scripture, but we also find it woven throughout historic Christianity and currently in global Christianity, and each he calls them like streams and he says like each stream sort of shows different angles of, of the fullness of Christianity. Um, and you know, so he mentions like, there's like this Bible based stream, there's this prayer based stream, there's this Holy spirit oriented stream and and he goes through all these different things and, um, each one brings a strength, but if you only stay in one of those, you're going to eventually have some, uh, imbalances. And so he's saying, let's, Let's be attentive to the fullness of Christianity. And again, it, it, the, the beautiful thing is each one of these sheds light into the fullness of Christ himself.
2: Let, let me do you one better here. I'm going to step on some toes right now. Are you ready for this? Um, I, I do the same thing with um, atonement theories. And if you really research atonement theories, man, there's a lot of heavy stuff in there. And, and there's a lot of people sniping at particular atonement theories right now, and probably rightfully so. And atonement theories guide a lot of um, postures and the way that the church will present itself, the way the church decides things, right or wrong, good or bad. But I've gotten to the point right now where when I read all these different atonement theories, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like that one. And I kind of like this one. Eh, some of the pieces of this one and then this one over here. And, you know, it's just like, it's like, I I don't know if I can just say, here's my, oh, here's my one atonement theory that I'm going to throw out there and say, this is where I stake my claim and my faith on. And if you don't believe this, I'm out. But I kind of like, maybe, and that could be, maybe I'm just immature. Maybe I'm just like deceived. That's fine. I'll I'll own it when I get to heaven. And Jesus is like, no, this was the one, (laughs) you know, but for right now, I'm like, no, I kind of grab all of these and I learn a little bit from all of them.
1: Yeah, and I think so coming back to the fact that Jesus is Lord with that, right? Like we as human finite beings will not fully have all the answers and understand all the details to all the things. And so we if we do come back to that core of Christ being the center, Christ being his fullness, right, then we can kind of listen to different thoughts of diff- on different topics and different doctrines and things like that. And kind of be like, okay, like I still, I mean, there's like very smart, godly scholars who disagree on so many different things <laughs> that a lot of people hold very strongly to. And to have, again, kind of what I find so beautiful is that when Jesus actually is who he fully is to us, there is a natural humility that we must have. And we must have this awareness just of coming under him <laughs> and in and being, and it's a good thing. I think often people have thought of submission as something so terrible, where really it's actually something beautiful to come under him when we believe that he is who he is and he is good and he has so much of this, I can actually trust him. Then we can, yeah, we can kind of toy around with some different things and have some freedom to not have to have all the answers and to be okay with having some um, like questions still that, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and I think nailed it. It's the humility piece that I think is often missing. Uh, we we bring such arrogance when it comes to the way that we approach things, and I, I don't, I, sometimes I think it's it's intentional. I think they're obviously we can see that, but. I think sometimes, and I don't even know how this is possible. Maybe just because we're Americans, (laughs) we do this really well, but it's like unintentional arrogance. I'm a Texan, right? Everyone thinks Texans are arrogant. It's like, it's totally unintentional people. It's like, we, we can't, it's not our fault that we have, we live in the best state in America and it's just, just naturally happened that way. So we're not unconsciously arrogant, but like in the West, we are a theologian heavy uh, culture you in, in the, in the church world. And so we often think that's the landscape. It's like, so now the question is what's well, this theologian or this theologian when in reality, it's like, guys, this is just a sliver. Like, what about the mystics? Like, what about, well, what about like the Eastern thought, you know, uh, all, all, the Eastern Orthodox and all of those guys, they have completely different views on this. And then, and then we're quick to say, Oh, that's just heretical. And rather than saying, okay, let's, let's like take a step back. And uh, Bradford, I think, dude, I think this idea of taking a little bit of that and a little bit of this, I, I think that is, I think that's the humble approach. It's, it's trying to trying to piece it together. And because at the end of the day, Monaco, it's exactly what you said, whatever we bring, whatever we kind of finally get our minds wrapped around and whatever it is, okay, guys, here it is like whatever our best notions are they're filthy rags compared to God and Alan and I were talking about this yesterday it's like whatever we try to figure out and we're like okay this is my this is my best thought so this is my best belief and i think this is the way it's still filthy rags in comparison to who God is and what the real the real the the, the fullness of what that looks like and so uh, i think it's it's a practice of being consistently in the presence of God in the presence of Jesus and of the Christ and being able to ask the questions. Okay. Who who are you? Like, who, who do I believe that you are? You know, I think Peter's declaration of Jesus in Matthew 16, what a wonderful uh, like practice that we should have as we sit with, with, you know, the Christ sitting next to us. Uh, I remember the, reading that early on as a young pastor, just being like, man, that Peter, I resonate with him. He's such a knucklehead. He's so hard headed that Jesus had to ask him three times before he even figured out the question. But I, I think it's more than that. I think it's bigger than that. I don't think it's so much Peter being uh, hard headed to not be able to like answer the question, who do you, who, who, who am I? I think what, what Jesus is laying down is, is, an, is an example of a practice that can we sit with Jesus today in this moment and let Jesus ask that question to us who do you say I am? You know, is, is he, and our, and our, our, and our answer, is it robust or is it a minimalist idea? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're my guy on Sunday. You know, you rule that day. But and when I go business on Mondays, I've got some other, you know, Lord.
1: I think what you pointed out with Peter, what an interesting little journey, right. That he had of like, he starts out saying like, you are the Christ. Right. And like, there's this full awareness, but then he's like, has this like misunderstanding of what that might look like. You know, even he's like, no, you're not going to die. Right after Jesus is like, I will be crucified. And he's like, no. And they have this little thing. And then you have him like living and seeing Jesus. Right. He denies Jesus. And then, yeah, Jesus kind of bring, reinstates him. And I love the, kind of journey of you are the Christ you are Lord but then do you love me you know and Jesus coming back like do you love me yes Lord you know I love you right and that that beautiful aspect of I think often when we talk about Jesus as Lord we can still kind of keep it as like boss employee (laughs) sort of interaction where he's so he like, he's so much more like what you're saying, Terry. He's so much more than what we can comprehend. And so he can be Lord and he can be lover, right? He can be the one that we love so deeply. And in the end, like, that's really what he wants. You know, he longs for, he has bestowed his love so extravagantly on us. And he longs to be loved back, right? And um, not that he needs our love, but it's part of that relationship, you know? And um, when we also come back to that, where he's not just this person out there, but he can be such a close, intimate person to us, Um, that love and that someone that we can actually love, that changes also kind of our, our posture and how we do then everything, how we do mission, how we do ecclesiology, because if love, you know, I mean, Paul even says, if you have, if you do all these things, but have not love it, like, what was the point? Right. And coming back to that and then considering that God is love, you know, there's just so many things of just really coming back to love when we are talking and interacting and believing and thinking about christ
0: uh, monica that's so good Uh I, I mean i would love to just kind of end there i know this podcast is, is going on this is one of our longer ones but i think it's conversation's been so so good um and so let, let's do this let's let's end here I, i'd love to hear final any final thoughts on this idea of christology you've got you know, people listening who are trying to, maybe they're asking their questions that, you know, maybe I need to do a a, a mini retreat or something, or maybe someone needs to do a full on retreat and just get away and really answer those questions. Who do I say Jesus is? And so what, what, what thoughts advice uh, where would you point them? Uh, and then we'll kind of close with that. So Jeremy, what, what are you thinking, buddy?
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, when you just brought up the idea of a retreat, I think that that would be excellent if someone takes even a small, you know, a day or a weekend to go and just really focus on Christ and asking some of these questions and doing some of these practices. Um, And I mean, you know, it it all starts with a, a sincere request. Jesus said, He said, ask, seek, and knock, and it'll be given, the door will be opened, right? So uh, he's offering, um, it's a a genuine opportunity. I think it really starts with us just kind of making that sincere request, Lord, show me how I can have more of you in my life. I
2: I, I think, yeah, Jeremy, that's really good. And I think really considering... um... I hate to, you know, I don't, I don't hate to use this word, but I think we need to reclaim this word. But um, your own personal discipleship, you know, how are you being discipled? How are you um, taking the posture of? And I think a lot of people who listen to this, we're, we're leaders, right? We're people who lead. We're people who disciple others. That's part of what we do. But then to really consider your own personal discipleship and how you're, how you're receiving and taking the posture of humility, taking the posture of. Um, receiving other people's instruction, correction, all of those things, um, and not just saying, oh, I've got this this whole Jesus thing figured out, and I've just got to get uh, all these other people to figure it out. Um, I, I, I think I've said before, I, I always look back at my life every five years, and I'm like, dude, Alan of five years ago was such an idiot, <laughs> right? And, and, and in every capacity, my mental capacity, my emotional capacity, how I've interacted with others, my my spiritual walk, and I'm kind of got to the point where I'm thankful for that. And when I look back and I don't go, oh, you were an idiot five years ago? That's probably when there's a problem. Um, And so I think considering our own discipleship, especially in this case, is probably a big thing.
0: I think that's super wise. Thank you guys so much, Monica, Jeremy, uh, Alan. Thank you guys for being on the podcast today. Uh, I think this is shaped up to be one of our best conversations yet. Uh, I think it's been really good. and. Uh, I think it's a super important conversation and it's just the kind of the beginning, you know, we're going to, we're next week, we're going to move the conversation into missiology and then we'll, we'll wrap up with ecclesiology uh, just in time for Thanksgiving. So we can have some really good Thanksgiving conversations with our families uh, and, and talk about how important Christology really is. So uh, thank you guys. It's been wonderful. Uh, Monica and Jeremy, uh, you guys are wonderful at talking through some of these things and Um, It's funny. I think, Jeremy, you've been on three times now, and we've had more scripture references on your appearances on our podcast than all of them combined. So thank you for reminding us that, oh, yeah, we have this amazing uh, text that we can always look to. Uh, If people were interested in kind of connecting with you guys to say, hey, uh, maybe Jeremy and Monica could help us out, think through some, some discipleship, some Christology things, or maybe even have some ideas. Ideas on how to retreat and think through some of this, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Is there a website or an email address that's easily accessible?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, contact through forgerichmond.com. The email's through there.
0: Okay, right on. Well, thank you guys again. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we're excited that we're back after a small little uh, break and we're, kinda, we're gonna try to finish strong leading into the holidays. Uh, but if you have time, please, uh, like us, uh, not like us. What is it? The five stars. I don't do iTunes. I'm not, I don't do Apple. So I'm assuming iTunes is a whole different world. I get my off of the, the Spotify feed, so if you can, wherever you listen to it on, like it, uh, give us five stars, review it, uh, whatever that is, that helps people get that out. Uh, and if today uh, has been a helpful conversation, uh, share it with someone, maybe another leader uh, in your community or, or denomination or something that might benefit from uh, uh, these wonderful people and some other thoughts. So, uh, thanks again for listening. We appreciate it, and we will see you next week.